Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Andrew Doyle and joining me tonight are two towering figures from the UK comedy circuit. I don't mean they're popular, they're both just really tall. <laughs> it's Leo Kurse and Scott Capuro. How are you both? You are the tallest panel that we ever have really? on Headliners. Yeah, we're quite tall. You are quite tall. It's yeah. an astute observation yeah. on my part. I'm actually short in my family. Is that true? My father and both my uncles are six foot five. I mean, your family must be terrifying. Well, I know they are, because they produced you. They do, and my, my, but my grandparents were tiny, so I wonder how that happened. Weird, right? <laughs> mm. Genetics, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, that what's happened with inbreeding? Yeah. Anyway, maybe, that was just speculation. Let's move on uh, to look at the front covers for tomorrow. Well, we'll start with the mail, which says, as energy bills set to rocket another 800 pounds, rescue deal for cost of living in days. Plus, Meghan's father hit by stroke on eve of UK visit. Telegraph Next says windfall tax within days as PM seeks to throw off Partygate. Plus we have Ukraine could be start of third world war, says Soros. A lot of doom mongering there. Wednesday's Independent says number 10 staff reveal the culture of drinking and parties. No great shock there. Plus, I just want justice. Mother speaks out after son loses finger, escaping bullies. Move on to The Guardian now. Guardian says, Sunak's cost of living scramble as energy bills forecast to hit £2,800. And they also run with Partygate. Top police ask why PM avoided fine. On to Wednesday's Financial Times now. They lead with energy groups tumble as Sunak races to finalise windfall tax plan, plus Glencore to admit bribery and pay $1.5 billion penalty after US and UK probes. On to Wednesday's Mirror, another party pick exclusive. Why did PM deny it? We knew parties broke rules. Downing Street staff stunned by Johnson's lockdown lies to Parliament. The Times leads with windfall tax will fund help for poor families. Plus a genuinely horrific story. This is a shooting at US primary school. Leaves 14 pupils dead. Onto the star now, they go with party animals. Insiders reveal all the juicy details and Zuma, I kicked my cat. And those are your headlines. <laughs> now, I do like to keep things light, but we do have to start with this story because it's absolutely everywhere. It's a bit miserable. This is from Wednesday's Guardian, and this is support for impending energy price caps, Scott. Yes, well, uh, Quasi Quartang has detailed how £500 in government support has already been put aside, but the price cap, it, it, he, he said more support is needed because the price cap is within days, but it's still at 2800 I mean, that's huge, isn't it? It is huge. For most people, I mean, I mean, some people can afford it, but I think for most people it makes them shudder at just the thought of it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's an incredible leap. And according to the article, it's saying that this, this could push the number of people in fuel poverty, poverty to 12 Million. That's but, twice as much as it is at the moment. But six million were already in poverty. That, that's a large number too. That's bad enough. Twelve isn't is it? huge. I mean, it's because the, the 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 cap was already set at nineteen hundred and seventy-one pounds, so it's quite a lot more. I mean, 
people will scramble to make it happen, and the government knows that. It's kind of puts us in, it really backs people into a corner too, especially people with kids. Yeah. Because they will just eat less, or they just won't go out to stand-up comedy well, have, at all. So then, well, <laughs> see, you have to make it about you. Or if they do go to comedy, they'll be cold, because the clubs won't turn the heat on. Won't people think of the stand-up comics? Won't people think of us? I know, That's hello. all about us. What do you think, Leo? I mean, this is, you know, it's such a hike, you know, to, to raise your bills by, you know, a thousand pounds. Well, it seems, it seems like a big hike, but it's actually still not meeting the, the rate that the energy companies are losing. Right. So they're having to buy uh, energy at, at the market price, or, you know, on their, their spot future price or whatever, and then um, sell it on. And these, these caps prevent them from, from adding in the price hikes. So they, some of them, that's why so many energy companies have been going bust. So what the government really needs to be doing is addressing the underlying issues. This scramble for green policy over the last few decades has, uh, has really left us like, completely dependent on uh, Russia for oil and gas. Like We won't develop our own oil, we won't develop our own fracking uh, gas. So what is the solution? Is it nuclear power? So uh, nuclear power is very long term. I mean, it takes, I mean, unless you're looking at Rolls-Royce's, you know, um, uh, reactors that can be, they're modular, so they can be built relatively quickly, but it yeah. still takes years. It does. Uh, I mean, and France the, and the big introduced one. it decades ago. Yeah, and so they're only sort of reaping the benefits now. It takes they? a long time to, to get rolling, but we could develop the Campbell oil field. That was, that was touted in the, in the North Sea. That was touted as uh, Shell were going to develop it. It would provide so much oil. I think, I think this, com this country would go back to being uh, energy, uh, de not dependent on other countries. Well, why didn't they develop it? What was the point? What, what was Everybody it? wanted to be green. The, well, the leader, the, the green leader campaign the... has used to be against nuclear energy, and now there's sort of now there's well, debates within. And the this community. is oil, and, but this right. is oil. But the, the oh, well. leader of the Scottish Greens, Patrick Patrick Harvey, said that anybody who wants to work in oil is a far right extremist. So that's how <laughs> that's how politicised you know energy policy has and become. And then he drove home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, he didn't ride a horse. You know, they're all, they call everyone they're all a far hypocrite. right extremist if they disagree with them. That's a sort of go to yeah. thing. But yeah. Scott, do you think there is a real sort of disconnect between the way that the, the government are reacting to this and the, and the way that people, because the, then they seem out of touch mm. when they're just, when they're, when they're not able to solve this crisis and they, they could have maybe done more earlier. They do also cause a bit of hysteria too, because I, I agree with Leo. It, it's, not, it's not reaching the amount that some oil companies need to stay in business. And what should happen is the distribution of the costs. I mean, you know, Germany, France, Spain has looked at other ways to solve these problems. One is to subsidize people's payments that they're making. Yep. Another is to you know, encourage people to insulate their homes so they use less heating in the, in the winter months. I mean, there are other things, but all they seem to do is throw numbers at people and scare the heck out of, mm -hmm. out of the general public. You yeah. know? And they seem also, uh, it, is, it is Sunak's job, I think, to ease the pain and alleviate bills. And he seems to have kind of walked away from some of it, to just but drop the number and then turn his He back. didn't in the pandemic, though. I mean, right. he found the money in the pandemic. Yeah, but that's, now, now we've run out of that money. And that, <laughs> that's the trouble with these subsidies and, you know, with uh, you know, fuel payments and all the rest of it. We're, we're just borrowing money mm. uh, from the future. We're borrow, borrowing it from ourselves in the future from our to kids. give it to ourselves now. Yeah. Which, you know, well, doesn't... Cares, it's not about them. I know. The little ones won't live long anyway if the pollution continues. Well, you, could, you two don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to have kids. <laughs> I'm so judgmental. Wait, just you have a kid? Yeah. I've got one in the way. One the way. And that's yeah. why he's being so judgmental. Oh, my God. Now, now so he's sanctimonious. His, now he's on his moral high horse. Already. Can't stand <laughs> them. Anyway, moving on to breaking news of a railway strike. Just what we need. Oh, yeah. The, the railway union sure knows how to, how to pick its moment. So railway workers have voted overwhelmingly to strike in a bitter dispute over jobs, pay and conditions, threatening massive disruption to the network in the coming weeks. So they, they say that this could bring on blackouts, fuel shortages and empty shelves uh, if ministers refuse to back down over the biggest rail strike since, since privatisation. Can I just you, say, Leo, I'm sensing from your tone you're not a fan. I'm not. 
this. I'm not a fan of this. I mean, we're, you know the state that the country's in right now. You know, we've, we've got to, I mean, we're Western liberal democracies threatened by Russia mm. on one hand, so we're helping Ukraine. Uh, we're also coming out of uh, coming out of lockdown, so we've got hyperinflation. Well, it's not hyper yet, but it, it will be soon. There's monkeypox. There's monkeypox. Yeah. You know, right around there's, the corner. There's not a lot of good things happening. Yeah. So, you know, you think we're all having to make sacrifices. We're all having to pull together. Instead, instead, uh, the real workers, and bear in mind, you know, the government gave, uh, you know, ensured there's 16 billion pounds during lockdown to make sure they kept their jobs. Uh, and passenger numbers are still way down. So, you know, they're not paying for themselves. Everybody's making sacrifices. They make 50 grand a year. The average average train driver makes 50 grand a year. We're not just talking about train drivers here, though, are we? We're talking about other members of staff here. And if working conditions are poor, and if uh, there are all these maintenance job cuts that are happening, I mean, don't people have a right to uh, uh, to unionise, to work against uh, poor conditions? Absolutely, but unemployment at the moment is 3.7%. So if you want another job and you think, you know, you could provide more value to another company, there's nothing stopping you walking out and getting that dream job at Amazon or wherever it is. But <laughs> it the, says, the fact of the matter is, unionised yeah. no, unionize workers quite often, uh, you know, they, they use it, they hold, uh, they hold the country to ransom. But isn't this an inevitability with the cost of living crisis? People are going to be looking for more money. They, they need are. it. Yeah, and they're going to unions because they have no other choice. Uh, this guy, who, who uh, Mr. Lynch, uh, yes. who is a, he, he's some sort of official with the, the strikers. Mick Lynch. Yes. He R- says RMT that, chief. He's 50 grand a year. He says our members are working class people. I don't think 50 grand a year is a working class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really shouldn't say you, that. You can definitely turn on Radio 4 if I, you're earning 50 you, grand. You can. You can listen to can classic FM. Yeah. And and Mick that Lynch. does put you in the top tax bracket, doesn't it? It does. They're going to do a tube strike on June 6th, and that's the day I fly to San Francisco. I'm really annoyed about that. Again, Don't call me. You always bring it back Again, to you. It's about me. No You're the victim me. here, Scott. Uh, you were the victim. At least the trains are heated. There's and, that. Well, they're right? meant to be. And yeah. Mick Lynch himself gets 84 grand a year. So, you know, they're right. taking in the union subs. It's, it's basically, you know, a mafia shakedown. <laughs> Could That's quite an extreme reaction. Yeah, but, uh, a little bit. You know, the train company—they've done well, though. They've done—they've made a lot of profit. They haven't. They, I think he just wants the train companies to share in that. He's a hundred million pound profit network rail, two hundred million for the subcontractors. You know, they're doing pretty well. And I think the workers just are saying, "Where's our?" Space? Well, th- but this is what happens, isn't it? When the people at the top are earning the most and the people at the bottom aren't, they want more money, and it yeah. seems perhaps fair enough. Although they should Leo, have done Leo better in school, agree. really. They should have worked harder at school. Unbelievable comment. Anyway, let's move on to Wednesday's Times. Sadiq Khan isn't happy with Boris Johnson. Who'd have thought that? Yeah, yeah. so Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, has escalated his row with the Metropolitan Police by demanding that the Met Police Commissioner explains why Boris Johnson was not fined for attending an illegal party. This wasn't a rave in a field in Devonshire, by the way. (laughs) This This was just, you know, a glass of wine after work or perhaps during work, because I think, you know, politicians work quite hard. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it seems ridiculous. I mean, many crimes go uninvestigated in Sadiq Khan's London. I don't know why he's politicising his role to this extent to, you know, make it so partisan to be chasing after chasing after Boris Johnson. And uh, particularly when Sadiq Khan's uh, record in crime is, is so terrible. Like 2021, there are more teens killed in London than well, any other year. We can see the images there. And, and uh, you know, these are the leaked images. You can see yes. Boris Johnson's red box yes. is there. Excuse me. Uh, which would suggest that he's working, though. Yes, you know? kind of. The box is kind of far away. And it, we don't see in this photo, but there are people sitting on laps and the bins are full of booze. So that sounds like a party to me. Yes, but OK, but aren't people getting a bit sick of this? I mean, we've had so much Apparently back, not. back and forth about party gates mm. and about people talking about... Um, I mean, he has already been fined. 
And I think Not that, for this, though. No, but then this discussion is coming down to, was he there for 10 minutes or 25 minutes? The police mm. have already seen these images, mm. right? So they've already seen it. Mm. They've decided not to take it any further. Mm -hmm. Sadiq Khan saying, no, that's not enough. We need, to, we need to push it. Isn't this going to backfire on him? Because firstly, people are sick of the Partygate thing. Yeah. And secondly, as you say, Leo, this does look like he's politicising this. Absolutely. I mean, this, this looks like uh, drinks at work or after work, which is understandable when you're, you're working throughout the crisis. Mm. And also the Labour government. We've got so many issues in this country and all they're doing is focusing on Boris having a slice of cake and a glass of wine. And when Keir did the exact same thing. I so, think people enjoy this. I think the public likes it and that's why they keep printing these pictures. And I think people like feeling like someone else is in trouble for a change. They like, people don't feel their behavior is wrong, Julie. They just hate being caught. So they love watching the highest visible person in the country being caught. But the caught. thing is, people know this about Boris Johnson. Mm. They, they know he's that a liar. That, is, that he can play fast and loose with the truth. Yes. That he's a bit reckless and all the rest of it. I don't think this is going to play as well as Sadiq Khan thinks it is. Mm. But speaking as a London, Londoner, well, not a Londoner, uh, uh, basically a Londoner. Yeah, yeah. You, you live in, in the East End. Um, what yes. do you think of Leo's point? Because there is lots of crime. Right, there's lots of crime that doesn't get solved. My uh, husband's not even been, investigated. My husband's been mugged four times, but he's Brazilian, what? so he fought them off and he won, actually. <laughs> did <laughs> he get their stuff as well? Did he do a reverse mugging? He opened someone's vein in their neck. But we don't support violence. No, violence is bad, 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 bad. Now, look, that was self-defense, but yes. the point is, that gives you a good example. One individual mugged four times, mm. okay? So surely that should be the priority rather than, as Leo says, rather than a politician. Well, I think Sadiq Khan does have other priorities, but I think that he sees how much uh, visuality, I just made up a word, how much attention this <laughs> is getting, and he, feel, he felt he had to comment. And it is strange that the police will not discuss the details of their examination of these events. He just wants more explanation. He wants to know what they've been doing, and he also wants to know why uh, he met with Sue and tried to get that report quelched. He'd like to know with why Sue, that happened. With Sue Gray? Yeah. So what, okay, but is it his business to be asking the police? Well, whose business know? would it be yeah, if it's not his? He's the mayor of the city. Yes, he's doesn't supposed to be other holding stuff, the police but Yeah, but I mean, he's the mayor of London, not the mayor of Labour. Like, he should but be But this event happened addressing. in London, and it's actually nice to see someone take responsibility for an event instead of Boris just brushing it off and saying it didn't really happen. He's trying to, he, he lied about it, by the way, in November. So he lied about this in the past, about this event even happening. So we know that too. He lied to Parliament about it. So it's strange that all these lies keep coming forward. I think- Have what, you never lied about a party? I have, <laughs> a few to my parents. But I think, but, but I think what Khan is trying to do is get someone to, to, to fess up for this. I agree with you in, in a way. I'd like us to move on. There's some real tragedies going on currently that we need to look at. Well, I don't think this is one of them. Speaking actually. of which, we're going to move on to the Daily Mail now. This is Wednesday's Mail has a story about the origin of monkey pox. Oh, God. Uh, why do I feel you were somehow involved, Scott? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just cheering them on. Mon monkey pox apparently started at a gay pride event in Grand Canary. At least we know the origin of it. They're always blaming the gays for <laughs> oh, these things, God. aren't they? Yes, I mean, it's this doctor, Dr. David Homophobe. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dr. David Hyman, uh, who's used to head the, he used to head the WHO's emergencies department, but doesn't anymore because he's in the Grand Canary having a gay pride event. Um, <laughs> Rolling around in monkeypox. Apparently, it's because it's spread by human con close, intimate human contact. Yes. And there's these two gay pride events. One, like I said, in uh, Mass Colombia. Yeah. And then also one in Belgium at um, a Antwerp. fetish festival in Antwerp called yep. Darklands. Another thing I didn't know about until now. Where is this place? And um, I want the address, please. Somebody call me an Uber. Anyway, it just happened. I was just in Antwerp and this event was going on. Well, I mean, lucky escape with the monkeypox no, starting No, it would have been fun. I'm, it's because I'm married. I don't get to go to the fun things anymore. Anyway, so yes, these things 
bring people together, and this event in Darklands was a, a combination of sex, shopping, and booze. No, no this shouldn't be surprising, though. <laughs> no, that's bad. I mean, so. look, the thing about this is, so it's yeah. obvious now that monkeypox... Uh, is chickenpox. Why are we making a big deal out of this? Like, like you know, no, come on. There are people who are very seriously ill, and there's no, someone... Not really. It's a rash that goes away. No, no, no. Well, I guess, guess chickenpox can make people very yeah. ill as well. that's true. There is someone in intensive care at the moment, so we should treat it seriously. Yeah. I think that, that, you know, people can become very, very sick on this. Yeah. What this article is reminding us, that, that close contact is yes. the way it's going to spread. So isn't the solution just don't have sex? I mean, it works for me. What do or you think? another yes. lockdown. Or another, lock another lockdown. Well, that's a serious point, isn't it, Leo? Do you think that this is, you know, given the pandemic and given now there's kind of an appetite mm. for lockdown, in other words, in the future, it might be the case that whenever there's a slightest sniff of a, of a new disease, people are going to say, lockdown, let's just lock down quickly. I think, I think to be honest, people are, it'll be the opposite. People are so sick of lockdown. I think you know, we'll need something like Ebola to go airborne. Yeah, before right. people want to lock down again. I thought Ebola was airborne. Doesn't it shoot out of your back? Isn't that how you die? Uh, you're not a scientist, Scott. All right, <laughs> you're, you're, you've demonstrated that. All I'm saying is clearly. because monkeypox, Soho is quiet tonight. So I think we all need to give some right some resonance to that. <laughs> well, so, you know, I. Well, we should move on now. Uh, starting to itch. Uh, Wednesday's <laughs> sun now, and we all know. Footballers love kicking things really hard, but maybe this particular footballer took his passion a bit Practicing too far. Practicing at home, that's all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Leo, you've got the details on this, this one. Is, yeah, so you, you might remember a few months ago, uh, West Ham player Kurt Zuma uh, was, was videoed. In fact, he, he took the video himself, mm -hmm. uh, kicking, kicking the and cat across kid, the kitchen. His kid was filming a bit. Or his, his kid was, yeah, yeah. was filming it, but um, yeah, so he's facing jail now because uh, he's admitted kicking his cat like a football across the kitchen and yelling, I swear I'll kill it. Uh, so the court was called both of Zuma's cats were likely to have suffered soft tissue trauma in the sick attack and uh, this would have left the animals, uh, which are both now in the care of the RSPCA, in pain and discomfort and fearful of humans in the future. But there's part of this that's uh, cultural differences because uh, in a lot of countries, uh, people treat animals a lot, a lot harsher. And it's not seen as a, as a bad or cruel thing. This is a West Ham player. Mm. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's not... They don't have their own cultural norms at West Ham. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know where he's from. But um, uh, before I say something... He's from France, apparently. Oh, he's uh, from France, right. Well, they, well yes. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they eat everything. They, but they do. don't mistreat animals, do they? Or they, they eat cats. My mate who's Bajan said, you know, he, was, he couldn't believe that there's all this fuss over the, over the cat. Really? Being and he's, he's not a bad guy. Like, he, he was just saying, like, this is a cultural difference. So it's, it's one of these things where, you know, the thing about diversity and, you know, tolerance of different cultures is you're going to have cultural differences. Now, come so on, some people I'm going to stand okay. up for the cat here. Yeah. I, just, I just think this no. is wrong. Scott, back me up here. It's you just a male violence thing, isn't it? I mean, he was bored at home and he kicked a cat. And the, the weird thing to me, he's already been fined a quarter million pounds. That seems quite like enough, probably. I know it's only two weeks' wages for him. Two but weeks' wages, But it's a quarter million pounds and that's a lot. So I feel like... But jail time seems... Uh, well, this is saying five years, potentially. Five yeah, years yeah. in jail for kicking a cat. Oh. But I would say, you know, it is cruelty to animals. I don't think you can justify it. Oh, yeah, but in a lot of countries, people are very cruel to animals and very nice to politicians. Not, Whereas in this country, we're very cruel to politicians and nice to animals. If you kicked, so it's just if you a, kicked a politician, difference. you'd get five years. Yeah, well, yeah. well, maybe not. I wonder what's going to happen to him in prison for having kicked a cat. What, what will his, you know, reputation be in jail? That's yeah. going to be a tough one, won't it? I mean, saying that you're, you're in there for kicking a cat, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it isn't very... It doesn't say McKissie. Smoke. It doesn't, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, he's probably not going to fare particularly well. Wednesday's Guardian up next and troubling reports out of China. Scott, do you have the details here? Thousands of detained Uyghurs pictured in leaked Xinjiang police files. Apparently documents detailing a shoot-to-kill policy for people who try to escape are published as UN human rights chief visits the region. Uh, the, these details date back to 2018. Um, 
where they were hacked by Dr. Adrian Zenz, a U.S.-based scholar and activist who shared them with international media. And there are photographs of detained people and details of, again, a shoot-to-kill policy. And this person from the U.N. is visiting now. Uh, she's the former Chilean president. Um, her name, I, I had it circled here because I've never heard of her. And um, I'll find, oh, Bachelet, if okay. I pronounce that properly. And she's, um, she's the first top U.N. human rights diplomat to visit China since 2005. And she's on a mission to see if the details she's seen are accurate and correct. But they're afraid that she'll get some sort of, you know, tourist tour well, it, of the area, not shown any reality of course, at all. Of course she will, because, I mean, inevitably, and in, in this case, as ever, China mm. and the Chinese government is saying this is disinformation. That has been hyped they up. They just deny and deny. They, of course, yes. The they, human rights abuses in China are terrible. I mean, with forced abortions, they've got more executions than all other countries put together. I yes. mean, you know, are we, should we be surprised, Leo? No, I mean, it's, it's shocking, but the more the more details that come out, the more we're sort of seeing the scale of it. I mean, it's already been referred to as a genocide by the United States. Mm -hmm. I think other countries are sort of wary of actually uh, labelling it that, but I mean, the, the details that are coming out, it's so on a mass scale, yeah. uh, internment, uh, rape... Um, forced labour, forced steril sterilisation. And also Western com Western uh, companies that enter into contracts uh, with, the, with the Chinese government for, for labour to, to produce things in factories. It's Uyghur Muslims who are yes. producing it. So we're in, in the West, all these woke companies are, uh, are using slave labour in China. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. So, and, and for some reason, the woke left, I don't know if it's because it's been uh, it's the Chinese government's communists, so they, they feel some affinity with the Chinese government, but the woke left say nothing about so, it. So, yeah, riddle me this. Why do they not? All these anti-racist organisations, they talk about all sorts of uh, human rights abuses, but they don't ever mention this. This actually gets very little coverage, mm. given the, the extent of the horror that's going on. Well, the Chinese government's response might be a reason, because they say this is an FBI plot. It's a coup by the FBI to, to bring down the Chinese government, that none of it's real, that they did they did extend some quite severe measures at first, a few years ago, mm. when they, they were anti-terrorist measures, when they thought the Uyghurs were terrorists. They'd heard reports locally that they were combining to take over the government. So the Chinese government stepped in, did what they said any government would do. They quelched the misbehavior, and then they put some of them in detainment camps to retrain them. Now, of course, all of this may be untrue. We, the problem is these, com these companies and corporations you're discussing never get real facts from the Chinese government. They're, they're famously private about it. Of course, everything. but well, you would be if you were perpetrating terrible human rights abuses. But, but is it not the case that China is just a, a country that and is too powerful economically powerful for people to want to challenge it. Or that we're all complicit because all of us want our denim at 40 pounds a pair. But and that's think, what these companies make and that's how they produce it. I think Russia has shown that the West can turn its back on, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the, the country, we can turn our back on a country and, and find our, our energy the or Russian our labor from somewhere else. The Russian economy is 140th of that as China's. We can turn our back on, on, on Russia and freeze almost to death in the winter. That's the sacrifice we're willing to make. But again, we want our cashmere V-necks. I mean, I think people don't realize how much of an economy that China but there are other there are other countries. There, there's I mean there's Taiwan. There's Taiwan. There's Bangladesh. All the, India. All these yeah. democratic or certainly freer countries. But that... none of them quelch personal rights quicker and more expediently than the Chinese. Yeah. Taiwan is by the way not as far as the U.S. government is concerned. They've announced recently part of China. And I think Biden is making a bid there to move some companies there. That's what his statement yesterday was about. Well, right. it sounds like as usual, human rights is can go hang when it comes to. Uh, a financial expediency, unfortunately. Nice blazer host. <laughs> I made this myself. Let's move on to Wednesday's Express. And Gary Lineker is being flagged up again, Leo. Did you, I did a pun there. Yeah. Yeah, that's because uh, uh, Gary Lineker is, uh, is being mocked on Twitter for saying he can't get excited by flags. This is nothing to do with some <laughs> bizarre fetish. 
uh, he's got, but it's a row about the importance of the Union Jack. So he says, I've tried really hard, but I just can't get excited by flags. Any flags, they're just pieces of cloth with a stick, right? Does it make me a bad person? I'm as patriotic as anyone, but flags, well, it doesn't sound like he's as patriotic as anyone. <laughs> now a Union Jack stick of rock, oh yes. Uh, but then, you know, people have pointed out that in adverts, when he's being paid money to be patriotic, yeah. he's quite happy to, to wave a Union Jack or to wave a St George's I mean, he gets uh, cross. excited by crisps, and that's just sliced up bits <laughs> yeah. of potato. I mean, yeah. you know, how can he not do it? I like to say this cloth on a stick. Yeah, Gary, that's what it is. That's cloth what on a stick. Is. What point are you making? Yeah. But this is very weird to me because we just saw his tweets, and in those tweets, you could see he had the Ukrainian flag colours yeah. in his uh, bio, yeah, yeah. right? So he clearly likes flags sometimes. And, and I bet he approves of rainbow laces on the football strips. I'm, the pride flag. That. I mean, what's he saying here about the pride flag? It's he's just a bit of cloth on a stick. Mm. I dare him to say that. He's being him. transphobic. Is that's, what what, that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying the trans flag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he doesn't care about it. Yeah. You're going to have to yeah, do better, Gary. Anyway, <laughs> Wednesday's Independent Next and the uh, nation's being asked to sing in unison. Is forced fun ever a good idea, Scott? Can't wait. They're gonna, we're going to sing Sweet Caroline at street parties to celebrate the Queen's reign. Neil Diamond's 1969 song has become associated with English sporting efforts. People Why? sing it all the time. Uh, it was chosen over a couple other songs because of, of the effect it had on people in 1997 at a Boston Red Sox game. A woman <laughs> played it over the stadium sound system because a friend of hers had just had a baby named Caroline, and right. it, it got people so excited that other teams picked it up to kind of rouse the crowd, and it's just kind of moved over the Atlantic, and here we are. Shouldn't it be something related to the royal family? Because if you're just going to choose a catchy tune, it may as well be Gangster's Paradise or Pump Up the Jam. You know, why does it have to be... You're so this? groovy. I think... Well, um, those would be my options. People thought that Paul McCartney's We All Stand Together or the Queen's We Are the Champions might be better better offers, but uh, they, uh, when, when Zoe Ball ran the competition on her breakfast show on Radio 2, by far the most voted for track was Neil Diamond's song. What do you think? Do you like the song, Leo? Yeah, I think it's quite good. I think the reason it's popular in this country is mainly due to Phoenix Knights. So they okay. sang uh, they sang the song in the van, and then uh, it was quite it's, it's, it's a funny scene because um, you see them singing along to the song, and then it, it pans back, and they're driving. It's the bus for uh, Muslim elders. <laughs> so it's just incongruous. Is it, is it just that it's a catchy song that's it's kind of difficult to get it wrong? Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a, a massive range. Well, Neil Diamond, yes. Right, exactly. OK, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. So you don't have to have a Shirley Bassey kind of voice yeah. to yeah. pull it off. Is you can have a lot of beers and you can still say, nah, nah, nah. Oh, I was kind of thinking the lyrics, Sweet Caroline, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. Beautiful rendition. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I don't know the song. <laughs> I do think maybe it should be something related to... I met Neil Diamond backstage at a gig in, in, in Sydney, Australia. Yeah. How was he? He's all right. He has very hairy knuckles. <laughs> That's the thing he'll be remembered for. Yeah. That's a good song of his, Well, too. I think, you know, <laughs> something else. Like, I, doesn't Taylor Swift have a song called Betty? That would I be... thought you were going to say Harry Knuckles. No, yeah. well, she should have it. That's a B-side, I think. Well, Betty would be closer to Elizabeth and it would oh, make yeah. more sense for the Jubilee. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. I think. Or I mean, Jubilee by the uh, Sex Pistols. Perfect. Yeah, there you Perfect. go. God Save the Queen yeah. by the Sex Pistols. Make yeah. much more sense. Anyway, Wednesday's Guardian now, and it seems someone had fun on their first day at the BBC. Leo? <laughs> yes, we're still talking about football. Uh, so the BBC has had to apologise after a message appeared on screen reading Manchester United are rubbish. Uh, so this wasn't <laughs> part of the official news report. This was uh, the mistake. The BBC apologised and said the mistake had occurred as someone was learning how to operate the ticker, the news ticker, mm. along the bottom of the screen. There we can see there it now. During the, there it is at the bottom. Man yeah. Manchester Hilarious. United are rubbish. They haven't oh, even got the right funny. sport. 
Um, where, and they also said weather, rain everywhere. What just goes to show? <laughs> See, I never think people read these tickers, but clearly they do. Someone yeah. noticed. Yeah. yeah, I do kind of read them because I think sometimes a good headline comes up I'm, I'm interested in because I'm so bored with competitive sports, especially tennis on the clay court. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> Kill me now. Who cares? You know, there's so much sport on TV here. And then they talk about sport in the news. And then they talk about talking about sport. They do. Mm. But, you know, for me, someone who knows absolutely nothing about football, I was quite grateful for that information. Man United are rubbish. I didn't know that, and now I know that. So that was just Is that a football team, Man United? I believe it's a football team. Is that right, Neil? They are a football team. You're not Uh, a football fan either. I'm not really a football fan, but I think they used to be good, and now they're a bit rubbish. Ah, So it was accurate. Yeah. So Ofcom can't get involved. So you can can trust the BBC. Yeah. And at least he said rubbish. He could have said a lot of other things. Could have said a lot worse. Wednesday's Mirror Now, and people are outraged at something they haven't yet seen. What a right. surprise. Well, Ricky Gervais' uh, hit new Netflix show, Supernature, has caused a lot of controversy. Um, the afterlife creator, Ricky, 60 years old, uh, says in this show some comments that people were offended by about the trans community. Not really the trans, he's talking more about people's perceptions of what a woman is. Right? Yes. And he says he loves the new trans, he loves, he, loves, he loves the new woman, which he describes as, you know, basically a guy. And then he talks from that moment onward. Yes. It's very funny, actually. Yeah. And uh, some trans community people have come out, not in favor of it, saying all sorts of things against him, saying he's not really funny, he's not really a comedian, he's insane. So this is a funny one, isn't it? Whenever people don't like comedy or comedy's not to their taste, they say mm. it's not comedy. Mm. As though if their individual subjective judgment of humour uh, d- isn't satisfied, right. they're the arbiters of what is and isn't a that's joke. That's the thing. It's ridiculous. Is, he's, brilliant. he's obviously a brilliant comedian, and if you don't like something, if you don't think it's funny, that's fine. It's a very intimate relationship we comedians have with our audience, and vice versa, it works both ways. So if you don't like something, it's fine. Then, you know, I feel terrible for someone holding a gun to your head to make you watch it. You don't have to. No, exactly. Mm. Just, and people want to oppose things they don't agree with. They want to jump at the comic. It's just a comic. It's just a joke. I mean, isn't, bit... isn't this just like the old school Mary Whitehouse kind of complaints? Oh, they, absolutely. You know, because they're saying that his jokes are going to lead to real world harm. Well, I challenge people to find me one joke in the history of comedy that has led to real world harm. They never can. Well, uh, when Chris Rock told that joke about uh, Will Smith's yeah, there's that a, led to the real there world we go, harm. There we go. But, okay. but yeah, I mean, I think they, they, are, they are just like Mary Whitehouse. They've even got the, the blue hair as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this uh, I think they're threatened by comedy because comedy sort of relies on revealing a truth that you're not allowed to notice and not allowed to speak. So Ricky Gervais, by you know acknowledging what we all know to be true, mm-hmm. true in a lot of cases, uh, has, has breached you know this social construct where we're not allowed to you know say that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. I mean, this is the perfect uh, topic for comedy. It's so contentious at the moment. Yeah. We've had politicians who are unable to say what a woman is. Mm. How could he avoid this topic? And who else can talk about it except on a comedy stage where you can deal with these things and try to make them palatable, subject matter. What I like, too, or don't like, in, in some of the criticisms of him, is people are going after his fan base. Yeah. Saying they're all these right-wing blah-blahs. How dare... You don't know any... Just speak for yourself. And if you, again... You know, I, one thing, though, I do like is that some people are on his side and they're, they're, they're supporting him. And they're saying things like, you know, in the U.S. we have Dave Chappelle, in the U.K. they have Ricky Gervais. Both are men speaking in defense of women, women in defense right. of the idea that you can talk about these subjects. So this is the point, though, isn't it? People are saying, I mean, there's one tweet here talking about how he's attacking a marginalized group that, that are being brutally murdered daily. Again, making the connection between a joke mm. and some horrific act that happens abroad, by the way, because they haven't been... Uh, yeah, I think there's on average one a year in the UK. So, so there isn't the an endemic, a, a yeah. pandemic of, of, of murders of trans and, and people. I, that's not true. I understand the idea of wanting to defend 
defend a group you belong to. And I know that, you know, when I was first starting out in comedy, there were no other openly gay comics on the circuit here or in the U.S. And it felt like a struggle and a battle. But also, I found a lot of subject matter in that struggle that I could use to my benefit as yeah. a comic. Yeah. And if I wasn't talking about it, who would? Mm. And why aren't women dealing with this on the comedy stage, by the way? Where are they? Why should Gervais and these other male comics have to take the brunt? Women should be talking about I've it. seen some female comics talking about this issue. Good. But, but I mean, it's Mary Burke. And Mary Burke has done it, for instance, and got in trouble as a result. <laughs> and lost well, the gig as well, a result you of this. Yeah. You know, this is why. But also, I, I mean, it, it strikes me as well, one of the big things about this is a fundamental misinterpretation of comedy. They think he's attacking a marginalised group. group. They think he's being anti-trans. Transphobic is the word that is used again and again. Mm. He's not. He's just not. That's a misinterpretation. That's an interpretation you're putting onto the yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to ban, or not even ban, but if you're censoring a comedian, as in censoring, not censoring, mm. if you're having a go at a comedian for their material because of your misinterpretation, why should anyone listen to you? Yeah. Also, you know, it, 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 not every comic is going to hold a mirror up to you and show you how great you are. Right. Mm. I mean, some of it, there is friction. There is inconsistency of the way comic talk. Comics contradict themselves on stage all the time. You might be uncomfortable. You might be shaking by the end of the show, but that mm. means you got your money's worth. Yeah, yeah. And there's a truth in there, which, which validates the joke and makes it funny. Mm. Okay, we're moving on uh, now. And this is Wednesday's Independent. Uh, uh, oh, no, we've just done the Independent. We're moving on to the Daily Mail, sorry. Uh, and this is the music business now. This <laughs> is, uh, well, let's go rolling in the deep with this story. This is about Adele. Right. Who's got this one? Oh, I have, well, I have one about the, in the Independent about UK festivals, uh, but just 13% of headliners are female ah, yes. in the UK. And apparently they, they, there was a promise made just a few years ago about, you know, leveling out a, 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 a festival republic launched something called Rebalance five years ago. And the project was meant to uh, balance out the gender equality in the music industry. It's a wider issue that, so, that can be dealt with. So what's this, all, all the people who end the, the show, all the big names, yes. they're saying that the vast majority are male. Uh, but is yes. that what people are seeking in their entertainment, a sort of a quota, 50-50? Well, you know, I don't know about 50-50, but they're saying that only about 13% of UK headliners are female musicians. And I know that, at least in comedy shows and in music shows I've seen, when a woman walks on stage, there is, you do hear a, a sigh of relief in the other, or oh, something a bit different, which is fine, and I understand that. So it would be nice if a bit more uh, effort was made, although Adele is the biggest musical star in this country. Yeah, in the and, world. And, and, and currently she's female, although, God, with the trend. <laughs> that might well, she, she stood up She stood up and said she was very happy being a woman and she wasn't going to do a Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. a bit of flack for that. Yeah, she, <laughs> yeah, did. she really did. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, imagine yeah. being proud to be the gender you're born in. How dare you have an opinion? <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Neil? Do you think we should be striving for greater parity between the sexes when it comes to major acts, comedy, whatever? Nah, I don't <laughs> Thing we should. I mean, uh, it's hard. I, I book comedy nights, and it's hard to get enough women. We, we always try and get like running hate and live. Uh, we always try and get at least one woman on because it gives you know the women in the audience somebody to root for, mm. and uh, and it just makes the show better than having a dirge of uh, um, you know incels uh, committing misogynist <laughs> hate crimes. But yes, but that said, it's very. But there's there's a lot just of female not, comics. There's there's just, yeah, but there's not as many as there are men, and uh, you know it's it's very hard to to book them, and also they tend to cancel more. And that's just that's just some from my lived experience that I've noticed. Well, I... They also may not want to do hate and live because it's, it's a very um, testosterone feel in the room, which I 
respond to, and maybe they don't feel like comfortable or safe in that space. Well, I'm going to say I book a lot of female comics, and they're all fantastic. They're so, great. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, well, I'm not a misogynist. Anyway, Wednesday's Guardian <laughs> next. Margaret Atwood is leading the fight against book burning. I'm glad someone is. Scott, what do you make of this? Although one? you do struggle with book women, I've, I've noticed, uh, Mr. Sanctum. Not anyway, true. You not do true. struggle. No, I know you, you do. <laughs> and um, although I, I don't want to get off this too far, I do, I do, female comics are, I think, fantastic. And I grew up watching them on TV in the US. And I don't understand why people think women are, are, aren't funny. I don't get that at all. I wasn't being serious when I said no, that. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, I think it's a really weird thing here that we're still talking about after years of comedy. It's so strange. Margaret Atwood has developed an auction. Uh, she's at an auction. She's auctioning off one of her fire resistant editions of her books. She's made it unburnable. And I watched the video. It's fantastic. Apparently, loads of books have been burned in Canada and in the US and the UK over the last few years. Yes. Books we don't hear about that are burned at schools, at libraries, in town centers. It's coming back. It's yeah. fashionable again. And, oh, yeah. uh, so watch Any, out because you have a few books that people might want to burn. I was thinking. I do. If there's a school, uh, a, a book in a school library that doesn't have explicit detail of sexual practices, then they take it out and burn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a... A very extreme. Let's not. Let's put it into perspective. <laughs> there isn't a big rash of book burning going on, but there have been some things, like yes. in Ottawa, when the secondary school board in Ottawa, uh, this was reported last year, they burnt five thousand books mm. in what they called a flame purification ceremony. <laughs> what they'd done is they'd taken books off the shelves of schools, by the way, yes. schools, and they said any book that has outdated racial stereotypes or something, they went in the fire. Mm. But then they used the ashes to grow a nice new tree, a tree of love. See, and, and this could be handy in the cost, of, you know, with the energy crisis. Could, <laughs> this is going to keep your heating bills The thing down. is, these books, they're being challenged, is what they're saying. There are books around the world being challenged, and we know that's true, and yes. lower in higher education. And so Atwood made this video to say, look, this book cannot, this book I produced cannot be burned in, books should not be, is a point she's trying mm. to make. And she's right. I mean, her book has come, uh, The Handmaid's Tale has come under fire, yeah. um, literally and metaphorically. Although one, her two bookers, but yes, it has come under fire. Yeah, I mean, it's a major it's book. Made her a lot it's, of money. it's an important book is an excellent book and she's been attacked because some people have said it's transphobic because it focuses on females giving birth mm -hmm. some people this week i saw her saying that it's uh, it's just it's it's racist because it's just appropriating uh, black women's stories and making it uh, i mean they will always find a way and islamophobic as well because it's, it's mainly based on uh, you know the theocracy in iran is that right yeah although set in new england yeah, just, yeah. Just transposed it. Well, look, it's, it's, it's incredible to me that uh, an esteemed, uh, brilliant novelist like Atwood is someone who's being targeted. But I think any book being burned has some kind of visceral feeling for me. I just think that's not a good look. Do you remember yeah, when yeah. Salman Rushdie's book was being burnt on the streets of Bradford? Yeah. And, and they hadn't read it either. I mean, I doubt a lot of the people calling for this stuff haven't re read really the Really, people, people that run libraries have said that the book is too sexual. And she's like, there's more sex in the Bible than there's in my <laughs> yeah. book. What are you talking about? No, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Anyway, to the Telegraph, Leo, and political figures may not have to resign over Partygate. But when it is suggested they are anonymous graffiti artists, that is the final straw. Yeah, so a town councillor has resigned uh, after claims that he's Banksy. <laughs> Quite unusual. He's 58 years old, which, you know, isn't the age category I thought Banksy would be. Uh, but he was voted into Pembroke Dock Town Council in the May elections, uh, having worked as a community artist for 40 years. But his success has been dogged by rumours, which he thinks are being spread maliciously by a political rival. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're saying that he's Banksy. Why would uh, that be malicious, though? Because that would make him quite... Trendy and cool, and well, know. I guess they're saying he sneaks around at night in a in a balaclava with you know stencil for, stencils of rats and has secret millions that he's not sharing with the community. Okay, perhaps. that's not so cool. And, and but, apparently, the the town that he's a councillor from has had some controversy, and they don't want more. 
And they said that he makes the town even more controversial. Although one of the might stars, be Banksy. yeah, he might. Yeah, but <laughs> apparently a, a Banksy did appear not in that town, but seventy miles away, right. which panicked this town. So. <laughs> Enough yeah. that they're thinking maybe he is. Oh, God, he could be. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, no smoke without fire. Well, he's, he says there's no truth in it whatsoever. I am not Banksy, which is exactly what Banksy would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that confirms it, doesn't it? So, yeah. They say his real name is Robin Gunningham, which has been traced back to being the real name of Banksy. I just think mm. it's too specific for it not to be Banksy. But I, don't, be I don't know for sure, and I'm just saying that. I don't know for sure, but I do suspect. Is it you, Scott? I don't know, but I, I, no, I would, I would, if it was, I wouldn't be here right I now. I see you I would, sneaking off at night. <laughs> I know, I'm looking for my cell phone in the park, but I would, um, <laughs> with my dog, but I, it was four in the morning, but I couldn't find my phone. I would, you know, I would, I would date Banksy, I would. I don't care what he looks like, it doesn't matter to me. I, I just love someone who tears up his artwork as he sells it. I just want to have a conversation with that person. Well, you can tell we are deep into the final section because we now have a sex doll story from the sun. Oh, man. Scott, this could have happened to anyone. Uh, exactly. The, the, a family phoned the police in terror after finding a suspected murder victim in the woods, only realizing that it was a sex doll in a car. Vikram Dawson, he stopped driving his car with his wife in the car because he went for a, a, a wee-wee in the woods. Yeah. And when he, he saw what looked like a leg sticking out of a car, a bare leg, and they saw what looked like someone with her head down in the car on their own, a woman. So he ran back to the car, told his wife, she panicked, she called the police, police came. They're like, no, it's just, it's just, they thought maybe a woman, something gone wrong in, in some dogging event, but it was just uh, someone had played a joke. Was it a joke or had they just ditched their they think it They said it must have been someone playing a prank with a naked mannequin or discarding it as it was no longer needed. That was the two options. Does this not suggest, case. though, I mean, it's quite a good advert for the dolls because it suggests they're very realistic, yeah. that people will think they're the real thing. Maybe it was the sex doll company. Although I think, I think most people buy the sex have. dolls to have sex with rather than to hide in shrubbery as a convincing yeah, body. Yeah. Do they? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm familiar with the no. practice. Well, you, you yourself said that you, you're, you're not doing any of those things. No. But they, they said uh, as the family waited, a very suspicious bald man with neck tattoos <laughs> slowly drove past Circle before returning 15 minutes later. Possibly Banksy. I'm yeah, not sure. I mean, it could yeah. be Banksy. With one of his artworks on his own neck. Yeah. I, 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 these dolls are amazing, though. The ones that were made, I think they're made in Japan. You can order them. They show up at your so door. So realistic. They're fantastic. I, yeah. think, I think they're terrifying. They don't talk back. And you have to send them off for, for servicing. You do, yeah. You have to have them cleansed. I mean, that's humiliating. <laughs> I, I just, I just no, think... I think it's a great solution to loneliness. I do. And Get a really, dog. I mean, not for that, but get, a, get, you know, get some company some other way. Well, no, I, or a cat you can kick. Gerbils. Goodness yeah, me. Gerbils are... Let's this move one's on. pushing gerbils. Uh, Leo, here's something in the mail we can all identify with, a nightmare job interview. You, mm. you must have had a few of those. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got this one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Reddit users from across the UK have shared their worst job interview memories. Um, so people have, have been you know, sharing the, the weird and bizarre things that have happened or been said in job interviews. One person said, I got interviewed at Toys R Us. And the woman interviewed me asked why I didn't have a job for a year. I told her it was because my mother had died. Uh, her next question was, how did your mother die? I replied and told her it was a heart attack. And she came out with, oh, so it was a painful death then. Goodness <laughs> so me. But that guy told the uh, co-worker on the way out, he said, that woman asked me. And then nothing happened. He said they, they acted like, oh, so what? Like, yeah. it's a common practice you know, Toys R Us. Toys R Us. I, I, yeah, I actually went for an interview at Toys R Us. Really? Once. Yeah, yeah, uh, to work on the shop floor. And, you know, that was pretty humiliating. I mean, I, I won't give specifics. But the guy was was sort of 
toying with me a little bit, uh, as the title would suggest. Yeah. But honestly, sometimes I think with these job interviews, it's a bit of power mm. for this person yeah. who has these, you know, and it's normally kids coming in, it's young people, it's their first job, and you can really intimidate them if you want a bit of power. But kids are intimidating. Maybe he's testing his COD with, with a scary child asking you a question about a toy. Uh, maybe. How you'll handle it, right? I don't know. I, have you had a bad job interview? Scott? I was naked in an interview once. What? <laughs> it was for an audition for a computer. And this guy, weirdly, he, he lived in a shack. And when <laughs> I we, don't know if I want to hear well, that. Well, a lot of actors. A lot of actors this doesn't sound want, like a job interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was one of my first with this. I just got with this agency. I thought, well, I have to go through with it. A lot of actors walked away from it. I thought, cowards, as they walked back to their car. I can do this. And he made a cigar, and then he ran the camera up and down our bodies and said, you're afraid. You're showing up in a meeting unprepared, but with this computer, you'll always be ready. So show me fear. I want to see fear. Show me. Well, fright. I'm experiencing that right now. All right. <laughs> Can I, I just get... say to anyone at home, if, if, if someone had a job interview, ask them to get naked. No. Do not do it. Yes. That it is was, not it's, standard practice in a job was, interview. It was wrong. It was wrong. Staying with, staying with the male now. Yeah. Scott, it seems like the ultimate in being a bad neighbour is apparently... Building a veranda in your back garden? Why is that about? Asterisk. I'd love to be asked to be naked in the job interview now, but nobody wants me to. Um, neighbors get so angry. They got so angry with a couple. They were good friends with. They lived next door. And this couple built a makeshift back garden veranda. But the wife says, uh, Alexandra Adams and her husband, Sev, she said, well, Sev's from Turkey and they all have big verandas. So he wanted to build it, and it kind of it, it went right up against the wall of their neighbours. Well, that but that is a bit antagonistic, I it think. Is. You know, there's the, always territorial disputes with yeah, neighbours, and you want to be a bit careful about. They've that. been good friends, though, and once this happened, the neighbours started vacuuming late at night, making a lot of noise. Or when they went out in their garden, their neighbours walked away and didn't talk to them, so they just moved at one. So why can't this is left. the thing with neighbours? Why can't they just get together and say we've got a grievance? Let's talk about it. Why this passive-aggressive stuff? Because we're British. Yeah. So we can't we can't directly address issues, but that's uh, a that's a that's a failing, isn't it, Leah? But hoovering, yeah, it's, it's a total failing. I mean, to to go to the lengths of hoovering in the garden, <laughs> nobody hoovers the garden. Well, you know, when I when I lived in a house and we had a shared front door with our neighbours downstairs, and we changed the, the front door and they disliked the colour that we'd chosen. And instead of addressing that and saying, should we paint it? They started knocking things about and making noise really late at night and That's, yeah. prodding their baby so it would cry, I presume, <laughs> yeah, yeah, during yeah. the night. You know, I mean, it's, it's just terrible behaviour. Yeah, it's difficult with neighbours too, because, you know, we, we, in San Francisco, where I also have a home, um, <laughs> uh, we, have neighbors, uh, well, we, we have we have neighbours upstairs and, and, and she's young and she, young people make a lot of noise. They do. They got their headphones in all the time. And when we approached her about it, we just, my husband and I just felt like like those old men on The Simpsons, you know, waving her fist to the moon. She's like, well, hey, hey, it's late. Uh, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm up. What, what do you, what do you, what do you money yeah. that old guy? So it, it was, it, it's, it's very hard on your self-esteem. It, is, it absolutely is. I'm sure there's a moral in this, but I can't work out what it is. Anyway, Wednesday's Telegraph Next, Leo. And I would not necessarily think a weekend boating uh, in Worcestershire yeah. Worcestershire I love this in recipe, is a recipe for debauchery. Well, yeah, it sounds very relaxed. Uh, these people are on a stag party and they, they rented three barges to go uh, to go around the canals uh, for their drink fueled weekend. But by the end of the first day, one lay partially submerged and another had been abandoned. <laughs> sounds like the Russian Navy. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the chaotic celebrations took place in Worcestershire and was forced to shut while emergency services retrieved the sunken vessels. Hmm. They hit a woman in her boat at, at night on the 20th, I think the Friday, I think. And she called the police. That's why the police went. And then they found out that, where is everybody? Now, that nobody died in this is amazing. <laughs> you, you, shouldn't yeah, yeah. Be partying, you shouldn't be partying on a, on a boat, should you? No, you, it's good.
Why is it? I mean, because it's dangerous. It's more, people are drunk and they're, they don't, they can stagger off and drown. And yeah, but only for you. You're not going to hit anybody in a car. You just going to have a little bit of fun. Why take fun away from the working classes? Yeah. It's the last thing these guys can do. This is much better than driving around in a car. Or a helicopter. It? Because these things can't go very fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the worst you're going to do is, is sink in two feet of water. I would have yeah. thought with lots of alcohol, though, as well. You're going to get sick, aren't you? You're going to get seasick. It's going to be worse. Perfect. Look where you are. I, yeah, I feed think, the fish. Yeah, yeah. I think this is an absolutely terrible idea, and I'm going to end on that you note. You can't swim, though. That's I can't swim very well, that's yeah. for sure. Anyway, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much to my guests, Leo Kurse and Scott Caporo. And Headliners is back at the same time tomorrow with Simon Evans in the hot seat and Top Guns, Eric McElroy and Diane Spencer. See you then. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.